Revelation 21. We're actually going to finish this chapter today, Lord willing. <laughs> so I'm going to read verses 19 through 27. We left off in verse 18, and we've been talking about the bride, the wife of the Lamb, which in this case, we are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, but it's also, as we have learned, a name that God has attached to the eternal dwelling place of the saints, which is the new Jerusalem, and because it'll be inhabited by his bride, God refers to the city as his bride. We talked about that, I think, last week. You might say Bridesville, right? Or wifey town. But um, that's why it's called the bride, but it's officially the new Jerusalem. And we've been reading about all the various aspects of what this incredible cubed-shaped city, 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. And so it sounds like something out of Star Wars, one of these cities in the sky that you see in these um, science fiction movies. Only this is the real deal. And we're going to continue on with the description of that here today. So uh, let's read 19 through 27. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to look at this incredible heavenly city coming down after the millennium, where we will dwell forever in your presence. Just continue to give us insight and understanding. And Lord, where we're not able to totally grasp or understand the magnitude of what awaits us, that you would just impart to us your, your peace and your joy and just looking forward to that which is beyond our wildest dreams. Bless this study now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the foundations of the wall. We had a, our house, uh, we don't live there anymore. We lived there for quite a few years. We had a adobe wall in North Valley. And uh, of course, trying to save money like everybody else, we hired someone who perhaps was not here totally legally <laughs> to build the wall. We're not sure. But uh, unfortunately, when they built it, they didn't put the proper foundation underneath, which normally you want to put a, a foundation of concrete or concrete block, and then you build the wall upon it. Well, they did that with part of the wall, but not all of the wall, and the part that they didn't do it with started to fall down. 
So foundations are important, and here we're reading about the foundations of this wall of the city, which is over 200 feet wide, by the way. So you can imagine the necessity of a tremendous foundation. By the way, also, we talked about these, uh, the, the different columns, the pillars, which uh, represent the 12 apostles. And so um, we read about the different gems, jasper, is colorless, sapphire is blue, chalcedony is green or greenish blue, emerald is bright green. Remember the emerald city in the Wizard of Oz? And so it's interesting, all of these fantasy books and movies and stuff that we, we read and we watch, they're all little inklings of what God has in store for us because it's really been planted into the heart and mind of man the amazing things of this universe that we can't see with our physical eyes. And so somehow it, it's expressed through the artistic creations of various people. But what we have waiting for us will far surpass anything we've ever seen. So we have sardonyx, which has layers of red and white. Sardius is blood red. And we're going on through verse 20 here with this. Chrysolite is yellow. Beryl is blue or blue-green. Topaz is golden. Chrysoprase is apple-green. Jacinth is blue or blue-purple. And amethyst is purple or violet. Sounds pretty gorgeous, doesn't it? Can you imagine? And again, that's just the foundations for the, for the wall of the city that goes around the city. By the way, nobody in heaven will be colorblind. So everybody will get to enjoy this. Can you just imagine? It's, it's incredible. So we have the 12 gates were pearls. And each individual gate was of one pearl. Now, again, picturing the size of the city, the size of the walls and so forth, these are going to be very large gates given the overall dimensions of the city and the wall. They will be enormous, no doubt, you know, New Jerusalem's going to be like Texas, only a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better. You know, they say everything's bigger in Texas. Well, they haven't seen the New Jerusalem yet. One pearl for each gate, and they're going to be massive. Remember, the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so, yes, the, the 12 pearly gates, we've heard about the pearly gates before, right? Now we know what that's all about. But even though those pearly gates represent the 12 tribes, we can also say that in this parable, God is the merchant, seeking beautiful pearls, and that would be those who would become his children, who would believe in him, follow him, and ultimately live forever with him in the new Jerusalem. So God's people are the pearl of great price, and the price he paid was the death of his only son on the cross of Calvary. Let me read that verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had. And so God gave up his greatest treasure, his greatest possession, his son, Jesus Christ, to purchase us out of sin 
and death into life and light. So here on earth, folks, this is what we have to look forward to. And we saw here, we'll talk about it more in a moment, but the fact that there won't be any temple in the New Jerusalem. We talked last week about the temple of the the tribulation, which is really the Antichrist temple. Because when the Jews rebuild this temple at the beginning of the tribulation, it won't be uh, under God's directive because they will not yet have embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah. This will again will be their fleshly effort to reach God. That's what religion is. Do we all know that? We talk about the difference between religion and relationship. Now there can be a positive definition for that word religion or religious. It, It has to do when you're religious about something, you're committed, you're dedicated, you do it diligently. And so that's a good definition. But when we look about religion overall in a general sense, we find that religion does not result in relationship with God And that's what God sent Jesus to die on the cross for, to have relationship with us. He's the mediator. I think we read that verse last week too. One mediator between God and man. Maybe that was Karen's memorial service actually. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And so relationship. The temple of the tribulation will be a religious temple established by man, not by God. And as we talked about in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will go in there and declare himself to be God. So this is not Ezekiel's temple will be built after the tribulation at the beginning of the millennium, and that will be the temple that serves the whole world throughout the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. But after that, and we saw how everything will be burned up, the heavens and the earth, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, And then we will dwell forever in the new Jerusalem, which is coming out down from heaven. And there we won't have any temple because God himself will be our temple. But here on earth, right here and now, the reason, one of the reasons the tribulation temple will not be valid is because right now under the new covenant in Christ Jesus, according to God's word, here on earth, we are God's temple. First of all, individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Couldn't be any more obvious or plain. Paul writes, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? How often do we think of ourselves in that light? It would be good if we were reminded every day of that. Hey, I am the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, Paul says. If anyone defiles the temple of God, and so that goes against the Gnostic belief, which has been around for the last 2,000 years, it doesn't matter what you do with your physical body. Your physical body is corrupt, it's vile. All we have to be concerned with is our spiritual life. We can do whatever we want with the physical body. It doesn't matter. That's Gnostic teaching. But Paul teaches us that our physical bodies are the temple of God. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul is dealing here with the subject of, he says, if you join your body to a harlot, you are joining Jesus Christ to that harlot as well. And then he goes on in verse 19, says, or do you not know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so here on earth, we are literally the temple of God. Our bodies are the temple of God. And we, I think we often forget that. And not just spiritually speaking, but literally physically, because what we do with our physical bodies is merely an expression of what's going on in our hearts and minds, right? And that's why he talks about the fact that the, those who are adulterers, fornicators, homosexual offenders, and so on, will not inherit the kingdom of God because what we do with our physical bodies does matter because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's individually. Now, we are also corporately, as a church, the church universal, the true church, which is made up of people all over the world. Ephesians 2.20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... Not on some Johnny-come-lately self-proclaimed prophet or teacher who comes up with a whole new gospel. Oh, this is the 21st century. We have to reinvent the gospel. Have you heard that one? No, we don't. Not only should we not, could we not, we better not. Our faith has been built on the foundation of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine, the Old Testament prophets who paved the way, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is referring to the church as a whole. So we are individually the temple of God and then we are also corporately the temple of God. And so God does not dwell in buildings made by man, by hand, he dwells within us. But again, when we get to the New Jerusalem phase, which will be eternity, it flips. In the New Jerusalem, it'll be the other way around. God will be our temple. Right now here on earth, we are his temple. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So God's glory is the very light of the city. I was just watching a video where they're talking about the potential for massive power outages. There have been some isolated ones in different places, but there are some who believe that we could be right on the verge of a terrorist attack that would target our electrical grid and how theoretically through... Uh, electromagnetic pulse weaponry they could knock out our entire power grid overnight and how devastating that would be plunging us literally back into the dark ages and right now we're experiencing incredible problems energy problems because we have an administration in Washington that's doing everything they can to shut down our energy network we've talked about this before but trying to eliminate oil and gas. By the way, we're the, we're the only country doing that. Really? The United States of America is supposed to be the greatest nation in the world? And we're the ones who are crippling our own society, our own economy, by shutting down oil production, gas production, driving prices through the roof, 
And it's, what do you think? Do you think it's just stupidity or do you think there really is a plan here? Do you think this is a concerted effort to take down America? But from within. You know, that's always the greatest threat. That's the greatest threat to the church. The church has always been persecuted from the outside and that always makes the church stronger. Do you know that? But what can tear down the church is attack from within. Division, divisiveness. That is the most dangerous thing in the church, in, in a company or business you work for, in your family. If somebody attacks one of your family members, you don't put up with that, do you? You stand up against that, right? But what if it's your own family members attacking one another? And I'm sure some of you have experienced it, right? That's the most destructive of all. And what is most destructive for America is not China, it's not Russia, it's people within our own government deliberately trying to take us down because they're globalists and they don't want any more independent nation states. They want a one-world government, a one-world economy. See, the dollar has been the dominant currency throughout the world. All nations rely upon the dollar because of its stability. And you go to many foreign countries, you'll find they'll take dollars any day of the week. Yeah, I'll take dollars, sure, because of its stability, or once was. But did you hear where China has now negotiated with Saudi Arabia to purchase their oil with yuan, their own currency? which will further destabilize. As more countries move away from the dollar and begin to trade in other currencies, it weakens our dollar more and more. And yet it doesn't appear that anything's being done to correct that. It appears to all be deliberate. And so it's good news to know that in the New Jerusalem there won't be any energy problems. Our source of energy will be God himself. And we probably should make sure that he's our source of energy right here and now. Because that's the only, he's the only thing that's reliable. Did you hear where one of the government officials, uh, when confronted about the gas prices, says, well, you just need to go buy an electric car. Sure, I'll whip out 50,000, 60,000 out of my wallet and buy a new electric car, won't you? But you know how we make most of our electricity? With coal and oil gas. Electricity just doesn't erupt out of the ground on its own. You have to manufacture it and we use petroleum products by and large and coal, which they're also destroying, the coal, coal mining industry. Where are you going to get electricity? If you happen to live by Niagara Falls, you can do hydroelectric. But we don't have any water in this state to speak of. Try generating electricity with the Rio Grande. Good luck on that one. <laughs> and not only that, but if you have an electric car, you have to plug it in and charge it every day. What do you think that's going to do to your electric bill? Which, they're, by the way, they're already saying that's going up and up and up. You see, what God is doing we saw the patriotic little video last week about the, the history and heritage of our nation, the foundations. And it was founded on godly principles and beliefs. But as you all know, we've drifted far away from that as a nation. 
But what God is doing, he's allowing all this to happen because it'll usher in ultimately the millennial kingdom of Christ and then our eternal home in the new Jerusalem. So it's all good. This is how it is supposed to go. And what I've been seeing for quite some time now, especially for us in the Western world, and America in particular, we've become so comfortable, so fat and sassy, that we have uh, forgotten the things that are really important, the eternal things of God's kingdom. And so God is now weaning us off of this world. Do you see that? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I often think about olden times, yesteryear, how things used to be, right? But God is weaning us off of all that because Jesus says you can't serve two masters. We can't love him and love the world. And let's be honest, some of us have gotten too friendly with the world, too in love with the world. And God's weaning us off of that, and that's a good thing. He's preparing us for eternity. So God's glory is the very light of the city. And again, as we see in the scriptures, God dwells in unapproachable light. So until we receive our immortal, imperishable, incorruptible, eternal bodies that are fit for heaven... We can't be in his presence, we'd be incinerated. But we will have those bodies in the new Jerusalem and therefore we can dwell in the light of his presence without fear. So God's glory is the very light of the city shining through the Lamb who is the lamp. And the walls of the city, as we've seen, they're, they're translucent and so forth. The magnificence, the gold, all the precious gems. The walls of the city will magnify that light even more. I hope the guy that makes Oakley sunglasses is saved. We might need those in heaven. Of course, I'm just joking. But John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then the ultimate fulfillment, of course, will be when we dwell with him forever in the new Jerusalem. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so it makes sense that with God there in person, live and in person, throughout eternity, there's no darkness in him. He is the very essence of life, the origin and the source of light. He will be all the light we'll need. And so I think... Here in Revelation, we get a whole new insight into these verses in John and 1 John. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. And so we understand that even better as we study here in Revelation. Verse 34, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. This could also be translated the Gentiles. And that's good news for the vast majority of us who are not Jewish by birth or by heritage. The Gentiles who are saved shall walk in its light. Redeemed people from every nation of the earth will live forever in the light of God. And that was one of the great mysteries as Paul talks about those things that were previously mysteries that have now been revealed through Jesus Christ, through the New Covenant, through the New Testament, one of those mysteries which really caught the Jews off guard 
was the mystery that not only would the Jewish people be saved by their Messiah, but the whole world, whoever believes in him, would be saved. Remember how shocked they were in the book of Acts when they found out that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit? First of all, they were shocked that Gentiles could even be saved. And then they were even more shocked when they found out, wow, they got the Holy Spirit just like us. They never expected it. And here it's confirmed, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, the light of the new Jerusalem, the light of God. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Now, some Bible teachers, scholars, if you will, theologians, like my mentor, Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, which he didn't set out to found a movement. He just set out to be a faithful teacher of God's word and God blessed it abundantly. But there are those like Pastor Chuck who believe that the new Jerusalem will be suspended above the new earth, you know, like a, a satellite in orbit around the earth and will be able to travel back and forth from the new Jerusalem to the planet anytime we would like to do so. So this statement about the kings of the earth, this could be a reference to us. There are some other thoughts on this. David Guzik, who's another great Calvary Chapel Bible teacher in California, he says, um, what about these kings of the earth? Who are they? This is, a, is difficult to understand, and different commentators have different suggestions. David Hawking, how many of you have heard of David Hawking? He's also a great teacher, getting up there in years now. I've had the pleasure of being at a couple conferences with him. But David Hawking says, How encouraging to note that not all were destroyed when the nations came to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord himself. He's referring to that battle at the end of the millennium where Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit. He deceives the nations once again and leads this vast army against Jesus and his people. And they're defeated, obviously, at the end of the millennium there. That's what he's referring to. He says, How encouraging to note that not all were destroyed when the nations came to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord himself. There will also be, quote, kings of the earth who will be a part of the eternal state. And then Henry Alford, another great Bible teacher, uh, among the mysteries of this new heaven and earth, this is set forth to us that besides the glorified church, there shall still be dwelling on the renewed earth nations organized by kings and saved by means of the influences of the heavenly city. And then finally, Pastor Chuck says, now perhaps God is going to create another new order upon the earth, the new earth. It's very possible. You can't limit God. God has got a lot of secrets that he hasn't told us yet. And it is going to be a glorious time in history discovering the mysteries of God, that is the truths that have not yet been revealed. So there are glorious things. There are nations. And the access to this heavenly city will be the kings. We will reign with him as kings, bringing the glory of the nations unto him. So just what kind of order or whatever is only speculation. And so that's this is one of those passages that nobody really claims to fully understand, but these, these thoughts from various 
Bible teachers give us some insight into potentially what this is all about, but it definitely seems to indicate that even as we're dwelling with God in the New Jerusalem, that there may be some other group, whoever they may be, dwelling on the earth. Interesting. And again, something to look forward to finding out exactly what this means when we get there. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now we know that this definitely means during the millennium. But could it also mean afterwards in the eternal state? More to be learned as we go along. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation. And so that applies to every believer of every time period. We're all part of that chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we talked about the church universal being the temple of God. But the church universal is also a holy nation before God. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. So that speaks the, of the duality of kingship and the priesthood of the believer. That's probably something else we don't talk about often enough is the fact that Part of our beliefs as a Calvary Chapel church, and we're not the only ones, there are many others. It'd be hard not to believe it since it's definitely in the Bible. It's called the priesthood of the believer. And again, the difference between religion and relationship and many religious organizations, there is a division between the clergy, I hate these words, yeah, clergy and the laity. How many of you are familiar with that terminology? And so if you're not a member of the clergy, a man of the cloth, then you're just a lay person. What does that mean? You just lay around all day or what? <laughs> we don't have that kind of terminology in Calvary Chapel and other good evangelical groups. The priesthood of the believer. And again, if we would talk about it more, think about it more, practice it more, that means that every single person in this room that's a believer, and I trust that's the majority, is a priest unto God, okay? There's really no laity in the church. We're all part of that royal priesthood, and I think that would have a positive impact on how we think, what we believe, how we live, don't you? If you really thought of yourself as one of God's priests, because let's be honest, everybody puts higher expectations on a priest, a minister, a pastor, right? They're supposed to be a cut above, but the truth of the matter is we're all supposed to be a cut above. You see? Not just me. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We all stumble in many ways. I'm no better than you are. That's the idea behind the priesthood of the believer. We are all equal before God, and we are all priests. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. All right, verse 25 its gates, the gates of the bride, the lamb, the bride of the lamb. The gates, these pearly gates, shall not be shut at all by day. And then in brackets it says, there shall be no night there. 
Now, the gates of ancient cities, and as you probably know, most ancient cities did have walls around them for protection against marauders and invading forces. The gates of ancient cities were closed at night to protect the citizens from thieves, robbers, murderers, etc. But you see, there shall be no night there, and these gates will be open 24-7. Unlimited access to the presence of God. And it tells us in chapter 22, verse 15, and we talked about this, I believe, last week as well, how that those dwelling in outer darkness and eternal torment will be able to see the light emanating from the new Jerusalem. Outside are dogs and sorcerers. And of course, dogs, you probably know this, but uh, dogs are considered um, unclean and, and not good to the Muslim believers. They hate dogs. But dogs represent kind of, you know, vileness, filthiness. Even though we love our dogs, we love our pets, but in the biblical sense. Outside are dogs and sorcerers those practicing various satanic, occultic, dark practices, sexually immoral, and we know that that's basically anything besides an intimate relationship between a man and woman in a monogamous heterosexual marriage relationship. Did you know anything outside of that is immoral and unacceptable? Most of the world doesn't know that today or believe it or care about it and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. And boy, in today's world, if we don't have a lot of people who are loving and practicing lies, there's a whole lot of that going around. But they will face eternal torment forever outside the city in the lake of fire. So there won't be anybody in the New Jerusalem saying, hey, you want to uh, take a weekend trip over to the Lake of Fire? Go boating? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and I think we did talk about this before, but yeah, part of the torment of hell will be the fact that the wicked will be able to see the New Jerusalem but will never be able to enter into it. Just like I've told you so many times, there will not be any non-believers in eternity. Those who now are not believers will be believers once they face God in the afterlife, but then it will be too late. They will be believers because they have no other choice. The obvious is right in front of them. The truth will be right in front of them, but it will be too late to do them any good. And then, of course, there shall be no night there. And I've said before, you know, I, I love the daylight, the daytime. I always felt like sleep was such a waste of time, you know, just lay there doing nothing. But we need the rest. We've, these bodies we live in now need that rest. But that won't be the issue in the New Jerusalem. Another point to be made is we read about the dogs and the uh, various groups outside, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, and so forth. There'll be no opportunity for evil deeds done in the dark because there won't be any darkness. John 3, 19 and 20 says... This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, Jesus, and men loved darkness rather than light. How do we know that? They crucified him, right? They loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
And so we know the evil deeds go on in the daytime too, but they really get cranked up at night, don't they? That's when most of your burglaries and your muggings and your wild parties, and it all happens at night, under cover of darkness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Interesting that even in the vampire mythology, which there are spiritual implications there as well, the vampires go out at night and sleep during the day. The, the sunlight will destroy them. It will incinerate them. Interesting, because their deeds are evil. Everyone who practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So there's another aspect of the torment. They'll see the light, never be able to enter into it, at the same time repulsed by it because they are evil, their deeds are evil. They would be exposed, even if they were able to enter in, they would be immediately exposed. Now the last verses here in this chapter, we're getting close. Isaiah 60, 11, these, these last verses of chapter 20 here, 1 here in Revelation are a direct parallel with Isaiah chapter 60. Look at this. Isaiah 60, verse 11. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. Isaiah 60, verse 17 through 20. Instead of bronze, I bring gold. That's what the New Jerusalem's all about. Walls of translucent gold, streets of translucent gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will also make your office, officers peace. Peace officers. And your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Don't you love the way the Old Testament, New Testament go hand in hand, confirming one another? That's why, again, Pastor Chuck said, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The best interpretation of the Bible is the Bible itself interpreting it. Verse 26, they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And again, we have yet to fully know and understand exactly what this means, other than it seems that there will be nations on the earth in eternity. Or, here's another interesting thought, we are dwelling in the new Jerusalem outside the realm of space and time, we will be eternal, no more time, no more watches, no more time schedules, timetables. But who knows, maybe those on the earth, whoever they may be, will still be living in some sort of a time frame. Because we know that even now, angelic beings move in and out of our realm, mostly unseen, 
And yet the UFO phenomenon, as I've believed for many, many years, going all the way back to the days of Dr. Walter Martin, I think may have been the first one. How many of you have heard of Dr. Walter Martin? Great apologist. If you've never read any of his books, he was one of the greats. He wrote about the aliens, or the so-called aliens, the UFOs, actually being demonic entities entering in and out of our space-time continuum. There is an unseen world. We all know that, right? We know that God's heavenly messengers, His holy angels, guardian angels are all around, yet we can't see them, but they're no less real than we are. In fact, maybe more real. So, in light of that, we have eternal beings, the angelic beings, both God's angels and the fallen angels, and indeed Lucifer himself, interacting, again, mostly unseen. They are not subject to time like we are, but they interact with this world. So the same thing may very well be possible during our eternity in the New Jerusalem. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. The only true glory and honor any person or people group can have is the glory and honor that comes from glorifying and honoring God. That's what made our nation great, glorifying and honoring God. Nothing of man's achievements or accomplishments would be included here. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Verse 27, but there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing impure will ever enter it, one translation reads. So all the filth of the old Jerusalem was carried outside the walls and burned in the valley of Hinnom. It's where we get the word Gehenna, Gehenna. Hades, hell. The valley of Hinnom comes from the west down towards the bottom of Jerusalem and then the, the Kidron Valley comes from the east side and they intersect at the bottom and that's where they would burn all the garbage, all the trash. That's where they did the child sacrifices to Molech. And that's where we get that term Gehenna, Hades, hell. And so there shall be no, by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Or it can also be translated, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Again, as per Revelation twenty-two fifteen that we read earlier, outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Just like we as believers are called to practice our faith, practice hospitality, we're told, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The more we practice at being true followers of Christ, the better we become as followers of Christ. And sadly, I think many people come into the family of God become a member of the body of Christ by placing their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they come in thinking that from then on it's just a cakewalk, you know, that 
God's going to do it all. He's going to wave his magic wand over you. He's going to toss his pixie dust on you, and you're just going to be this perfect, wonderful person. Which church was that? <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. No, but in this case, it speaks of those who love and practice a lie. And so in the same way that we as believers can get better, can get stronger, can get closer to God by practicing, by studying the Word of God, meditating upon the Word of God, praying, fellowshipping with the saints, all those things that go into our discipleship as believers, practicing those things, just like practicing a musical instrument. If you want to get good at it, you've got to practice a lot, don't you? We've all seen you know, the depictions in the movies and TV programs and stuff of the young little child practicing their violin. Screech, screech, screech. Right? Or, or their horn. If you ever want to get beyond that point, you've got to practice, right? Well, the same thing in this case. The more you practice being a liar, hello. We got some good ones out there, baby. They've been doing it a long time, and they're on TV every day. Well, they might be really good at it, but it's not going to get them into heaven, I'll tell you that. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Interesting, causes an abomination. So not just committing an abomination yourself, but causing an abomination. Are those in our midst today causing abominations? I watched a video the other day. This was an interview with a young girl, 23 years old, two Christian guys who have some kind of a podcast. Her story popped up. I checked into it. I'm trying to remember her name now. I can't. But when she was about 15, she was, you know, a lonely, rejected teenager. She started going online, social media, particularly the site called Tumblr. And there's all these transgendered people and different types on Tumblr, and they all started trying to encourage her that her problem, why she was so sad and lonely and so forth, is that she was probably really a boy trapped in a girl's body. And so they groomed her, they recruited her, and more and more she began to buy into it, began to cut her hair, dressed like a boy. Much turmoil in the family, obviously. Felt very confused still. Went to her school counselor, and the counselor confirmed to her, your problem is you're really transgender. And so we want to help you follow that path. And she said what they do with the parents, they intimidate the parents and they tell them, if you don't support your child in this, they're going to commit suicide. If you don't let them become transgendered, if you don't support them and encourage them, they're going to kill themselves. And she said that these counselors and teachers and people in the school system, they don't know what to do with a troubled teenager, so they default to transgender because it gets them off the hook. Because they don't know how else to help them. Because they don't know God. They don't have God. They don't have the one thing that can help this kid, so they automatically point them towards transgenderism. So by the time she was 19, she was taking like three, four-inch needles and injecting testosterone into her hip. 
but she was tormented and tortured inside. And she said something kept telling her, don't do it, don't do it, this isn't right. And she would sit there for an hour, two hours at a time, trying to convince herself to go ahead and jab herself with this needle to inject the testosterone. And finally, by the grace of God, she finally came to the place where she realized, this is not what I want, this is not who I am, I don't want. And she pulled away from it, and now she's a really pretty 23-year-old young woman, and she's back to who God created her to be. But for every one of those good stories, there's a whole lot of bad ones. The suicide rate is through the roof with young people who are pursuing the transgender identity. But what caught my eye here, it's not just those who commit abominations. It's those who cause an abomination. Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the ocean than to stumble one of my little ones. And yet we're living in a day and age where there's more abominations being caused by evildoers than perhaps ever before. Because they've got the technology, they've got the means, they've got the internet, they've got the tumblers and the TikToks and the Instagrams and the Snapchats and the Facebooks and on and on it goes. Sometimes those things are used for good, many times they are not. Or causes an abomination or a lie. Apart from Christ, folks, here's something to keep in mind as we read this list. Apart from Christ, any one of us could be placed in one of these categories. Such were some of you, Paul says to the Corinthians. Such were some of you. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we don't look at these things from an arrogant, superior, haughty, holier-than-thou attitude. We look at that from the attitude of there, but for the grace of God go I. But thank God... I'm not a pedophile. By the grace of God, thank God I'm not one of these things, any of these things. But Jesus says if you think it in your heart, you've done it. And so we're all guilty, but by the blood of the Lamb, we can be set free. We can be cleansed. We can be born again. And many of us here today have been. Praise God for that. Our only hope, 1 John 1, 9, I quote this often, if we confess our sins... That's where it starts, humbling yourself. Pride will keep you away from God. God will never turn away the humble, the broken. If we confess our sins, let God be true and every man a liar. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows you're a sinner. Quit trying to hide it. It's like trying to hide that cancer, thinking it'll go away. No, it won't. You've got to deal with it. And sin is the greatest cancer of all. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. Because only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will gain entrance into the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It's not like many in the world are saying there are not many paths to God. And to eternal life. There's only one. One is all we need. People complain. You're so narrow-minded, so dogmatic. How can you say Jesus is the only way? Would you rather hear me say there is no way? Forget it. Give up. There's no hope. I'll take one way over no way 
any day. Won't you? How stupid, I'm sorry, and I've told you before, don't get on my case, stupid's in the Bible. How stupid to complain that God provided a way. Only one? I want multiple options. I want a Whopper. I want a Big Mac. I want a uh, green chili double cheeseburger. I want gluten-free. I want multiple options. Well, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to entering God's eternal kingdom, there's only one option, one choice. That's all you need. That's all you need. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, Lord. I'll go through you. God has spared no expense, folks, in preparing his glorious holy city and has made it spacious enough. We talked about how gigantic it is to accommodate billions. We talked about the calculations by various mathematicians and Bible scholars easily accommodating 20 billion people. But here's the, here's the one catch. Reservations are required. We don't take walk-ins. The sign at the entrance will read, This city reserved for God and His immediate family only. No others will be admitted. Let's stand. The good news is, anyone and everyone can be admitted simply by acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as we go to prayer, I'm going to ask everyone, bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. If you have a prayer request, please raise your hand, and we will acknowledge those before the Lord. Father God, you see each hand, you know each heart. Lord, we've talked about the glories of the eternal kingdom that we will experience in the new Jerusalem. But Lord, in the meantime, we have to live here on planet Earth and deal with all the bumps in the road, all the nicks and scratches and bruises and Lord, we know that ultimately we may have to shed these mortal bodies before we see you face to face. But that's okay because Paul said he would prefer to be absent from his body and to be present with you, Lord. I pray that that would be the case for everyone here today, that each one of us would be able to say that without hesitation, that we long to see you, to be with you, and if that means having to experience physical death first, then so be it. We would love to be part of the rapture of the church, and perhaps we will. Only you know, Lord, the day and the hour. In the meantime, we lift up to you, first of all, health issues, physical issues. Lord, many are struggling now with allergies. We pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon them, that they would be able to get the help that they need, whether by natural means, supernatural means, whatever it might be, Lord, to get relief from their allergies so that they can function on a daily basis. Lord, other health issues. Lord, whatever it might be, you know. You know each each person, you know what's going on, whether it's them or one of their loved ones, Lord, whether it's cancer, heart disease, diabetes, whatever it might be, Father, COVID, long COVID, after COVID, Lord, you know, respiratory issues, Lord, nothing is too difficult for you, and so we lift up to you every health issue represented here today by these lifted hands. We pray that you'd pour out your grace and your mercy upon each one, Bring healing, Father, and bring strength. Lord, if, if there are situations where healing is not part of your plan, 
then we ask for the strength to endure. Like many who have gone before us have endured much hardship, not only physically but in other ways, and you have sustained them. We ask you to sustain us. You are our sustenance, and we thank you for that. Pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, for healing, for restoration, that you would bring your Holy Spirit into the midst of those situations. Help us to be peacemakers. Lord, help us to be the first to reach out, to humble ourselves, even if we don't believe we've done anything wrong, that we can be peacemakers and be like Jesus. We ask for healing of marriages and friendships and work relationships and neighbors that we may be at odds with. Whatever it might be, Lord, we bring healing and restoration. Lord, for mental and, and emotional issues, we know those are huge in the world we live in today. Lord, we pray for your comfort, for your strength, for your healing, whether it's a bipolar issue, schizophrenia, or just depression, anxiety. Lord, you told us that we're to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Help us to do that. And you promised if we would bring everything to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that you would hear those requests. You would guard our hearts and minds with the peace that passes all understanding. We pray for that peace to come upon each one here today, Father. And we pray for financial provision. Lord, in these troubled times, economic times, that you would give us wisdom and guidance how to navigate these troubled waters to be good stewards to use our resources wisely, and we ask that you'd multiply them, just like you multiplied the loaves and the fishes and the crews of oil for that widow who ministered to Elijah. Thank you, God, that we have such an incredible, rich heritage in the faith, all the wondrous glories of your word and of your kingdom, both now and to come. We give you praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.